Mark, what is dying upstairs? Oh, good. Okay, great. All right, wonderful. That's great. Now we know that. Now we named it. Now we can forget about it. Wow. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Yeah, are you leading the children? Well, I didn't know that, Louise. Oh, okay. All right. They, they trust you enough to, to leave the kids with you. Okay, don't lose them. Okay. <laughs> Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, as we gather in these moments, we're thankful for your faithfulness to us. May we be faithful to you by listening and hearing the word that you have for each one of us that we might be able to take it into our heart, whatever it is that speaks most to us. Challenge us, convict us, and guide us. Free us for living as you've called us to live. Pour your Holy Spirit on us and on these words now as we gather in this place and make them be so in our lives. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, people of God said together, Amen. I invite you to follow along with the YouVersion Bible event if you haven't done that before and continue to do so. Remember to save it so you can be able to look at it later. Otherwise, it poof disappears after worship today. And I can always get them for you, but you might want to save it yourselves and be able to walk along. It's a great way to use your phone for something powerful and positive as opposed to just social media, Facebook, text, GPS, emails, everything else. How about actually using your phone in your spiritual life too? It might actually balance out all the other stuff you use it for. We've embarked on a journey over these last days to return to God with all our heart. We're 20 days in, 20 days left to go through this Lenten season, a time of embracing transformation, new possibilities, new life. It's what our journey is all about during this time. But we still have work to do before we arrive in the garden with an empty tomb. And as Easter begins to appear in the very distant horizon and it gets closer, we might be tempted to walk the Via Dolorosa, the way of sorrow and suffering of Jesus, faster. But that's what we should do. If we listen to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, we're reminded that we still need to walk slowly and with great care because we're not ready yet. We're not ready for Easter Easter is more than chicks and ducks and bunnies and candy and fine clothes. Easter is much more than all of those things. Before we can get to the new creation of Easter, we have some repair work to do within our own hearts and in our own world even. And even in our own church. We did some of that repair work outside Yesterday, it began with a, a lot of destruction earlier in the week that I wasn't sure about. The first thing I asked Davis was, where are my bushes? They're all gone. Outside my office, everything's gone. I'm like, I'm not so sure about this. I like those bushes. 
But I did say, if it, whatever is hiding behind the bushes has to go if there's no bushes. So it's all gone. The pond from years ago is gone. Everything that was junk back there is all completely cleaned out and gone. Because sometimes you have to get rid of the old stuff, the things you keep around thinking you're always going to need them or use them in order to get the new stuff into your life. Amen? You can't hold on to everything and expect to change and for things to be different. And so we began with a lot of destruction that I wasn't sure about. And then the task loomed large before us, literally, with a hundred bags of mulch to spread throughout the campus. But we came together on the outside and on the inside. Every window in this place has been cleaned by the teens and the children. And then with the power beyond our own strength, Sometimes you just need power beyond yourself to remove things that are dead. You see, there's no way we're pulling up that bush. And Mark was looking at it, and, and, and Mark said, well, it's got some green on it. It looks like it's, it's an okay. And I'm like, it's got two branches of green, Mark. We've got to pull it up. It's dead. Sometimes you just got to pull things up even when it seems like there's life in them because there's not enough life to really go on. In order for new life to spring forth, you need to be able to Take care of the things that are dead. And we began the work of repairing. That's right outside my office. I have a back door. You don't ever see it. That's my only window to the world because I have no windows in my office. So I open it up and put a screen door on it and I let the air come through. Makes me feel like I don't live in a cave. And we began the work of repairing. So that transformation could take place. That's what it looks like now. In places that were in disrepair, were brought. Now, anybody notice what's wrong with this picture? What is wrong with this picture? What is the one glaring thing that is wrong with this picture? Anybody know? The what? Anybody who's organizational who likes what is wrong with this picture? Look at it real close. It's not the tree. What? What? Want to hear over here? That's exactly right. There's a stone out of place. That stone is driving me nuts and no one's ever moved it. It's like, somebody should fix that stone. Well, you guys all walk past it every day and nobody fixes it. How can you possibly live like that in your life with that stone like that? You what? That's right. <laughs> Mm. I don't walk on that side of the building. I don't. Little lamb side, I barely go out that door. Because it turned into this. And the stone's fixed. And all these things were brought back to new life, working together. If you don't go outside the Lamb's door, like most of us don't for the most part, go outside, look at the gardens. See all the work that was done working together. And the beauty of new creation was all around us as we were doing this repair work. 
You could see the flowers so much more. You could see all the hard work that had been done to create these places and these spaces. Once you did the repair work, you could see the new creation. You get it? You understand? It's the same with our lives. And sometimes we need to stop and remember why we came together as this crazy quilt of people called Good Shepherd in the first place. Years and years and years ago before most of us were, were ever here. If you, ever, if, you ever, if you haven't stopped to notice the cornerstone of the building right outside, right here, and, and to read it. And to think about the people who came before us who, who planned it says that we as a Christian, that we a Christian family committed to caring, loving, and supporting each other. What? What's the other word? Together. To loving, caring, and supporting each other together. Following the word of God, we are taking a bold step into the future with God. 1996. The church was in 1991. Ralph remembered and Sue remember these times. Vicky's right there at the edge. There are others of you. They had no idea what the future looked like. They had no idea when they built this building what was going to happen, if it'd even be around in this amount of time. They had no idea a second building would be built in the back with another cornerstone you should read sometime. They had no idea this experiment of leaving their home in Rivergate and leaving the school that they were meeting at would lead to something like this. They didn't know. But they had hopes and vision and dreams of this new creation. How hard would it be to leave this whole place and start again somewhere else? Everybody's like, mm, I'm never going to do that. And yet our mother church did that. They left the place that they knew and loved and raised their kids and everything else. They left it. For the future of what the church could be. And maybe someday this church will leave this space too. And go to some huge campus somewhere else. Where it reaches other people as well. Because that's the best place to be. In Hendersonville's future in 50 years or whatever. New creation has to happen. In order to be able to move into the power of God. See, So far we've, we've journeyed through fruitful fields in this sermon series. And barren wilderness, and countless stars, and the promises of God that are both large and small, and tables where we're all fed. And now, like threads that sew together a patchwork quilt, this week we begin binding together our journey with repentance and reconciliation and repair. I mean, what are you audaciously hoping for during this journey of the empty tomb? What's the big thing for you? What are you working on? Or are you treating like every other day? What's that big thing for yourself? What do you want for others? For your community? How do you want to be different at the end of these 40 days in some way to be able to say, look, this is how I am different. What I've been working on. There's a particular concept that our Jewish brothers and sisters use to describe how they are called to respond to a world that feels like it's coming apart at the seams. 
is called Tikkun Olam. Tikkun Olam, in the simplest of terms, means to repair the world. To repair the world. When the fabric of society is torn, Tikkun Olam not only calls each of us to participate in mending what is broken, but to make it better than before it was damaged. That that's our role. To make the world better before it was damaged. And when it comes to the art of repairing the world, there are no shortcuts. There are no easy answers. It is difficult and time-consuming work of repairing a way of reconciliation and restoring. What we did yesterday didn't happen in an hour. We couldn't do all the things that we did quickly. You had to keep plodding along. See, to repair the structures and systems, we usually need to break those things down to their basic levels to be able to figure out where the problem is, address the root cause of the failure, and then begin rebuilding from the bottom up. It's very hard to put new wine into old wineskins. You know, a lot of times we, we tend to want to repair something again and again and again, and then finally you can't repair it anymore. And we still try to hold on to it instead of moving on to the new. And it's not hard to look at, around this world and our denomination as United Methodists and our own communities, perhaps even our own families, and see a thousand different fissures, cracks, where God's harmonious creation has somehow gone awry. It isn't the way we're supposed to be. Something's happened. Takan Alam is not about grand gestures, but rather small acts of kindness, small steps that are made in faith, one after another, small displays of love and solidarity. It's the kind of thing that Paul was talking about to the Corinthians. He begins by saying, From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. Each daily action that embodies loving kindness does not necessarily make an immediate impact or a huge impact. But as we keep loving and walking in grace, our collective actions all together can add up. They begin to make a new world, a whole new creation. If only we have eyes to see it. No one act yesterday fixed everything. No one person did it all. But together, transformation happened. Repair happened. A new creation was found. If only we have eyes to see it. I mean, what would it mean for you to begin seeing with eyes of faith? Not just the eyes that were given. That's what Paul was telling the Corinthians, suggesting to them. Paul was urging the gathered community in Corinth to expand their vision, to look broader and wider into life. He says, So if anyone who is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. Does it say that some things have passed away? Does it say a few things have passed away? It says everything 
old has passed away from the old life. Who we were before. We don't take it with us. We're not supposed to bring it forward with us. It's a new life completely. You should look different than you did before you became a Christian or even as you've been a Christian your entire life. You should look different than you did 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. It should look different if there's any movement. This kind of seeing moves beyond what our eyes can visibly see. Humanity has always tended to focus on what is broken, what is limiting, what is imperfect, both in ourselves and in the world. We focus on the negatives of things. We focus on the brokenness, not the wholeness. Our news is filled with things that are broken, not news of all the things that are work and that are whole. And all the stories that are out there about people, you know, they add one little thing at the end of the newscast, a little bright moment to kind of, you just watch 25 minutes of ripping your heart out, and now in five minutes we're going to send you one little story about how life is so good. Instead of filling everything else that way. What if on our way to building a new and better world, all the limits we put on people and things were suddenly blown apart? That we actually believed in each other and believed in the ability we had to be able to change the world. To be able to do the things that Christ calls us to do and to live out. To really believe. Maybe in Nesta we might actually believe that we can change kids' lives through basketball. <laughs> what kind of idea is that? Maybe we might believe it though. That makes a difference. That maybe somehow the small things that we do really could change somebody's life. Because God's in it. Amen? What if we started to see the world through the eyes of Christ? Now, some of you may have have any idea what this picture is, and some of you may know, and if you do know, then just be quiet, because I don't want you to talk about it. Brent, I can tell you no, so be quiet. This is a picture... If you were to go upstairs in the children's hallway, if you haven't gone in the children's hallway, shame on you. You don't need kids to go in the children's hallway. Please go in the more than just the sanctuary in your Sunday school class. Look at the whole building and marvel in its majesty everywhere that you go. You need to go upstairs, and along the children's hallway, there is this big mural, which is an oasis, and this is in it. Now, those of you who don't know, the story behind this, what do you see? Renee, what do you see? It's a white blob, Betty. You're too far back and need better glasses. Come to the front. Right there. That's it. Now you're in the front row, Betty. I know it's a hard picture to see, but if you saw it closer up, anybody can anybody see it in the middle? Betty's trying. Betty, stop. It's okay, Betty. It's all right. Vicki, what do you see in that picture? Can't see it. Sarah, what do you see? Sure, might as well now. It's Jesus' face. Jesus' face is in the mural upstairs, painted by the artist who Tim from 
CNC Shirt Factory, who does a lot of our stuff. His brother came up. Debbie told me this story at first service. His brother visited Tim for a couple of months, and his brother did all the murals that are up there years and years and years ago. And in every one of his murals, he always put Christ's face. Now you need to go upstairs and go find it. The, uh, the, the part that Debbie told me too was this is one of the last murals he ever did. His brother died after going back to Florida, the last member of Tim's family. So it was really emotional and important. We've long since forgotten that story since most of us were never there for it. But you can even see it unless you were looking for it. And now you might see it. Thank you, Brent, for figuring that out. I know what you're doing. <laughs> the, important, the important part is it takes different eyes to see that. You would not find that by yourself as I've been here six years and nobody ever told me that it was even in there until yesterday. Six years. It takes different eyes to be able to see like Jesus. So what if we started seeing the world through the eyes of Christ whose eyes saw human differences as an opportunity to expand the reign of God on earth? I mean, look at his disciples and how different they were. I mean, if you look at them, they were this bunch of different kind of people that you would never choose to be leaders and followers of the church. And yet he chose them all to be a part of this crazy mission. I mean, Jesus saw through all the barriers and the boundaries. He broke them down to the point where even death lost all its finality. The death wasn't a big thing to him. Of his friends, he would say, you know what, he's only sleeping. He's not dead. He's only sleeping. The grave didn't hold him as well. Jesus saw through all brokenness and, ho- and hopelessness and poured himself out to the point where love conquered all. What if part of our Lenten discipline involved learning to see with grace-filled eyes? Learning to see with grace-filled eyes, to see things just like we've never seen before, with new eyes. What if we learned how to see with a newer, broader vision? There was a widening of our vision that led to a widening of our hearts. To understand more about what God had for us and has for us. And calls us to be as followers. What if we focused on the threads of creation that bind us together and through the work of reconciliation begin to stitch the threads of a new creation together out of the old? Threads that would bind us closer to one another and to God with the things that do bind us together. We went and saw the Presleys on Friday night and we saw Sean Alexander, Alex, and one of the things at the Presley's house that was interesting is, is that they have a bunch of quilts, a lot more than we have quilts at our house. And they have quilts from all members of their family. There's lots of quilts involved in this family, for what I can see. And one of those quilts, for instance, was from um, Jackie and Zan Blackburn uh, for, uh, for Gladys. One of her quilts is in their house, in their relationship. And so it was interesting to, to hear all the story, different quilts and who they came from and and what they're about and everything else, to to see these different quilts that they had. And so 
we have quilts in our house, but nothing like those particular quilts. I mean, this is a quilt that's from Susan's family, and, and you just notice, you know, it's got all different stars. I mean, no quilt I've ever seen has the same star all over it. I mean, look at how different these are. They're all different. And that sits on our quilt rack and has everything on the back of it. And then, and then Hannah got, received a quilt from Susan's family, from her, her dad's sister, Margaret, who made stripes to squares for Hannah and this quilt. And then we have this crazy quilt from our anonymous quilt maker here who's not so anonymous most of the time, but we'll keep her anonymous just for the heck of it. And so this quilt is very different. But everything on this quilt means something to our family or to the person who made it about who we are. There's music and smiley faces and Jesus on it and chickens and cows and things like that. But look, nothing's the same on it, but they're all stitched together. All one quilt, but they're all very different. Quilts are kind of like that. Different pieces, different sizes and shapes. All that come together in a new way, a new creation. I mean, what if we allowed what we had in common to bring us closer than allowing what differs in us to tear us apart. A reading from Paul recalls a prophecy from Isaiah 43 about the world being made new. It says, do not remember the former things. Consider the things of old. I'm about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do not perceive it. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And Paul continues that theme from Isaiah, telling us the new creation is always and everywhere in our midst. It's always being created. It is created by us through Christ, that we are God's vision, that we are the ones that are resurrected with Christ, that we are the ones, while walking the wilderness way, have found the living water in the desert that Isaiah is talking about and that he promises It's no longer enough to simply see and perceive that a new world is possible because we are called to be the agents of reconciliation. We are called as the followers of Christ to be the ones who reconcile the world to God, who keep working to bring God's vision into reality. Paul proclaims, so anyone's in Christ, there's a new creation. Anyone? Anyone. Are you in Christ? Then there is a new creation, he says. Again and again. The Lenten wilderness is a place where it becomes necessary to shed some of our old ways. To let go of some of that baggage and the things that bind us and keep us down. Some of that junk that's been collecting around in your spiritual life. That you keep holding on to. That keeps you away. We need to let go of sin and selfishness of greed and self-centeredness, to make room for this whole new resurrected life that we are called to live. Amen? To let go of the old stuff to make way for the new. You can't keep all the old stuff 
and expect somehow it's going to change. It doesn't work that way. And he says, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. Can't be more clear than that. We are the reconcilers. We are the ones that are called to reach out into the world to reconcile others to God and to each other. And so Paul asks his Corinth community and us to be reconciled. Trusting the ministry of reconciliation to us. And reconciliation will involve letting go of our old ways of seeing. And how can our Lenten journey help us to see beyond the obstacles and the stumbling blocks and the places where the fabric of humanity seems too threadbare and too torn? And how can we begin to open the eyes of our hearts to a dream where the world is fully reconciled and renewed and resurrected and restored? We have to be able to have those eyes to see. We can't have the eyes of cynicism and of negativity and somehow being a realist that things can't change and that things can't be different. Those aren't the eyes of Jesus. Those are the eyes of the world. Some of us resist seeing a new vision. There were many in our mother church that were like, I don't want to move. I'm not going to move. You can't make me move. It was a 50-50 split, pretty close. And yet they still saw a vision for something new. That has become old to us, but was new to them. That's how vision works. You can't stay in the old vision forever. Otherwise, the new vision can never become what it needs to be. You know, we all like to be in that sweatshirt and those sweatpants we've had for 30 years that are full, full of holes that you need to throw them away and start new. But I hope to God you don't wear them out when you go out in public and that sort of thing. You see? It is real good, Brent. Kathy's not going out of the house again. Don't let him out of the house ever again. Those are comfortable. I get it. They're our favorites. But there has to be some newness, an opportunity to be able to to take something new in and, and to be different. We're content to stay in our own grave clothes. And that's not who Jesus is. He didn't stay in the tomb. He was raised as new, a new creation. And so the, the good news is, is that when we're trying to be in the grave, Christ keeps calling us and beckoning us and pulling us and drawing us together so that all creation will be reconciled through God. That he's still working to do that. And the good news is when we see the frayed edges of human injustice and indignity with the eyes of Christ, then we're compelled to start the work of repair. When I walk outside and look around and things look like they look, and it's like, we've got to do something about this. We've got to change this. We've got to clean it up. We've got to do something different. Look down a hallway or into a closet or into a room. We've got to change this. We've got to clean it up. We've got to do something with this. We've got to, we've got to refocus. It's new birth and reconciliation. They go together. 
Salvation is a gift of God that has personal community dimensions. God continues to change us into the image of Christ. That's the whole point. We're moving towards the image of Christ, the new birth experience. Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born from above to have this new life in John 3. And John Wesley writes in his sermon, The New Birth, he says this, God works this momentous change of new birth in the soul, bringing it into life and raising it from the death of sin to the life of righteousness. It is the change worked in the soul by the Almighty Spirit of God who creates us anew in Christ Jesus according to the image of the Creator. And he continues, The new birth is being born anew in true righteousness and holiness When love for the world is changed into love for God. Pride is changed into humility. Anger into meekness. And hatred, envy, and hostility into a sincere, tender, unbiased love for all humankind. In a word, the new birth is the change by which the earthly, unspiritual, devilish mind is turned into the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. That's the nature of the new birth. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Can you really say, can we really say that the mind of Christ Jesus is first and foremost in our mind? That his thoughts and his actions and his directions is the first thing we look to to decide what we do in this world? He goes on, So we are ambassadors for Christ, Paul says. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Because he says the world will never glimpse God's vision unless we share it. Amen? Unless we share God's vision, the world will never glimpse it. It's not going to just happen out there. Unless we are the ones to share it. The folks who built this place and put down that cornerstone wanted to share God's vision with the world in this community. And we have to make a concerted effort to do that. To say with our hearts and lives, this is where the world's been torn asunder. This is what we're going to do to change it. This is where love is calling us to go. This is what love is calling us to bind and to build and to ask the question, what would it look like to be an ambassador for Christ today? What would it look like to be an ambassador for Christ today in your life? What would it look like? If you were the ambassador, like just like to a country or to the United Nations, and you were in charge of everything that happens that was presented, and your words were the ones that somebody looked at to be the words that come from Christ himself, what would that look like for you to be the ambassador, to carry that kind of weight? Because all of us are. You may be the only person that anybody ever sees the Christ in everything you do. If they only know Christians as being judgmental and divisive, it is because of us and because we do not seek out to be able to go against that imagery. If they don't see your heart and they only hear your words of hurt, then that's the only image of Christ they're going to have. It's up to us to be ambassadors. And he closes with this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So let us heal the hurt with the ties that bind it back together in Christ. Let us point to the places where water flows in the desert of life. 
where there are great things going on, where God is changing lives and continues to change lives and not just focus on the negative things. Let's work to live into the fullness of God's good creation. Let us seek beauty while creating harmony and justice and reconciliation one small act at a time because every small act makes a difference. Let us come together with all our hearts and return to God. That's our journey. So we become more Christ-like every day. And to share the good news that he has given us to be shared with someone else. Let us return to God with all our hearts. Amen. So when I think of the song, What Wondrous Love Is This?, it, There's this amazing love that God gives us that we don't deserve. That we haven't earned and couldn't possibly ever say thanks fully for. This love is given freely. But this love is given freely to us to also give it to others around us. Because it was a gift to us. And because it's a gift, it has to be given to others. That's being an ambassador of Christ. There are folks in your life and in the world and this community and and around who just don't believe anybody loves them. People who don't, are not cared for. They're not forgiven. But there's no hope for their existence or for their life. They might even take that life because they see nothing else. Or at least live in despair and depression most of their time. It's up to us to show them there's a better way. There's a better way to live and a better way to be. And this song that tells what wondrous love this is speaks to the fact is that this love is so wondrous it can't be kept to us. We have to give it to others around us. So let us stand and sing. What wondrous love is this? I want you to really listen to the words and to feel the power of those who wrote them and what it means for you to share this love as well as receive it.
there were this crazy quilt of people, all different. And we want this quilt to continue to become larger and larger of all different sizes and shapes to live into the promise of what those that came before us wanted. For this church to be a church that reaches out to the community and changes life after life, family after family, generation after generation. We need to keep building this quilt. We need to keep stitching people on together in their uniqueness as they come alongside of us. We need to come together and return to the heart of God and be ambassadors of Christ out those doors and into the world where lives continue to be changed by his word. Amen.